Merhaba everyone. Welcome back to the Turkish Breakfast Club. I'm your host Miranda Lin. I hope you all had a safe and empowering Women's Day. At the march in Istanbul, and in fact at every protest I've been to in Turkey, there was a strong presence from the transgender community. It's maybe no surprise since they're constantly being forced to fight for their right just to be recognized and respected in public spaces. To tell us more about what life is like as a trans person in Turkey, I'm joined this week by Arya Zencefil, a trans activist and a fellow podcaster who hosts the show Trans Saatler or Trans Hours. We had an amazing discussion about how trans rights are fundamentally connected with feminism and other social justice movements, and she described the shocking ways that the government and some women still treat the trans community. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hoş geldiniz. Welcome to the Turkish Breakfast Club, Arya. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I'm very excited. And hello, everyone. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to start off by making sure that we've got your pronouns correct. So what pronouns do you prefer that I use? I prefer she, her. She, her. Um, yeah. One thing that I find interesting is that in the Turkish language, there are no gendered pronouns. There's just the O, which is your uh, third person singular that covers everything. Yeah. <laughs> And it's different from English and certainly different from like French or, you know, those romantic languages that make everything gender, like a table is a, has a gender. Um, but I, I've always been kind of curious if, because you've grown up with a Turkish O, that that's maybe changed the way that you perceive gender, that Turkish people perceive gender. And so I was wanting to ask you to start off with, if you can tell us about how, when you were growing up, how you remember thinking about gender and how you maybe started thinking about your own relationship uh, to gender. Actually, I have like a memory about pronouns. And not when I was young, but from when the first time I got abroad from Turkey, Uh, I was like, oh, like uh, my language doesn't have any gender pronouns. So I was telling people that they can use any pronouns uh, for me. And because I was also identifying as non-binary, like this, this was like three or four years ago. And like people were calling me whatever they want. And actually it got into my nerves. <laughs> What type of things? I mean, is... In, like, for example, when they use the masculine pronouns, I realized that it really bothered me, you know? And then it was like, for me, it was like, like an essential thing to insist on them. So that was really eye-opening for me and also for my own journey, for my own womanhood. And that was one of the crystal clear eye-opening moments. <laughs> Before that, before you went abroad and heard these pronouns, but did you feel that you were trans already? Like, did you have this concept or was it when you were kind of confronted by these pronouns that you sort of questioned it more? Like, where was the moment that you sort of began to realize your trans identity? My, like, trans identity is a, like, a kind of complex thing because when you, you are non-binary, you're also still trans and what what we say now like i'm identifying as a woman that's being a binary trans and still being a non-binary is still being a trans so uh, but pronouns was one of the uh, 
things, at least one of the factors that really helped me to find my find myself in the spectrum. However, I cannot say that in the Turkish culture we don't have strict uh, like we we also have strict gender roles still. So, for you growing up and as you're discovering yourself, did you find it hard to break through these norms or how did that how did you sort of navigate that in in a turkish cultural setting um, again when i was a child um, everyone like was ridiculing trans people especially trans women but as a child were you already aware that there were like the that there are trans people that that is something that exists um yeah kind kind of yeah because like when in the neighborhood i was living it was like a secluded neighborhood that also trans women and especially trans sex workers were living uh, it was like 2006 or something like that and they were living there they were like we were seeing them and of course when i saw like a ladies like that is very tall i was like curious and mm, people already were labeling them as travesti you know like in maybe latin speaking countries know this yeah, term very well yeah it's both a dictatory term but we also it's also uh, a word that we use among ourselves and we don't let others use it you know <laughs> so it really shaped my own peace with myself because like i have very strict moral codes according to social society at least when i was a little child uh, i was very careful about not upsetting my parents or my other relatives so when i saw those women being ridiculed and when when i was being told that they were bad women then they were like you know perverts etc like they were sex workers it really demonized them and this is, I think, how it goes throughout Turkey, because there's heavy discrimination against us, and there's very strong prejudice for us. And everyone assumes that we are sex workers, for example. That was a very mean way of like protecting your, at least, let's say, sons and daughters from the trans men. <laughs> and they suffered a lot. That was in 2006, 2007. Not like today. Today, at least we have a voice thanks to people like you and thanks to social media. But back then, they couldn't. So then when you were sort of introducing your trans identity to your family and your friends and to yourself, I mean, to also when you were realizing this for yourself, this negative image of trans people, how scary was it for you? What, did you, what kind of reception did you receive? Um, now that's a double-edged sword. <laughs> the first edge is like when I like I told you that like I was identifying as a non-binary, like I was identifying as a gender fluid person. The most strong reason for that, I was afraid of being a woman. I was very afraid of not a, being able to live my life. But after a certain point, like after what I have experienced abroad i told myself no like i have to let go of these fears and embrace my womanhood i wasn't a man i was non-binary i was a woman so i had to embrace that and the second side 
is that I think actually it's easier to explain to your parents that you are a binary trans woman or a binary trans man rather than you're a non-binary. Even though we don't have a gendered language, still we don't have like a traditional non-binary gender role. It's easier for them to understand when you say like, oh, I'm I'm gender fluid. Sometimes I feel this, sometimes and they're like, how how but when you say like i'm a woman that's easier to understand if of course uh, if in the case that they are let's say having this kind of respect towards you or your choices i'm a very very lucky woman in that regard my family supports me my family helps me and they embrace me but this is so so rare so me coming out was not a big challenge. Of course, it was a challenge, but not in the sense of like, like what other uh, trans people go around in Turkey. Well, I'm living with my mom, with my uh, little brother, and I see my dad regularly. And it's, you know, like it's, it's, it's great. And I'm very, uh, what was secure? <laughs> I really appreciate. Yeah, I'm really thankful for uh, what I have because it's so rare and not having a family really makes it hard because we very carefully value our families. Turkish family ties are really strong. So when you are kind of like, let's say, uh, in quotation marks, like when you're exiled because of your, for example, your sexual orientation or your identity, uh, you go through really hard times because you are being outed from support mechanisms. It's not like, for for example, if people are listening from U.S. and like our families care for us for a long time, not just, and we have those ties, like those mutual ties. So when they are cut, it's, it's really a bad way to live. It's like, for example, even having your dad stand be- like stand beside you really deflects a lot of problems. So it, it always comes to the family. That is really amazing. And I'm really happy to hear that your family has really supported you through this. But as you've said, it's, it's really rare. I mean, everywhere around the world, there are a lot of cases of trans people being cut off from their family, losing a connection because of of their identity. And you've mentioned before that, you know, a lot of people when you were growing up and saw them that they were forced into sex work or into, you know, difficult situations because they lost that family connection. Can you speak more broadly about the sort of conditions that people who maybe don't have strong support from their families, what they sort of face in Turkish society these days? This is a very complex situation. In Turkey, it's better when compared to 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. It's better. I have heard of trans women doctors. Like I have heard non-binary people having good jobs and like they are having these great things. I have heard more trans men living their life uh, kind of comfortably. So these are all wins for our movement and for trans rights. However, in the law, 
there's like in Turkish law, there's there there are anti-discrimination laws, but they don't really specifically talk about gender identity, and uh, there's no hate crime laws, so they don't distinguish discrimination from hate crimes. Mm. So when you suffer because of your trans, let's say you are being discriminated by your workplace as you you are trans. You don't have really any law if the judge deems it and as all the judges are themselves are transphobic or homophobic, you don't get that. So they don't even recognize it as discrimination and there's no special protection yeah, for they, trans people. So they can do that. Like I, I'm really baffled sometimes with the, the law systems. Like there was a Supreme Court case in that Supreme Court said Like, even though the law doesn't specifically say gender identity, by the spirit of the law, it is protected. It's really baffling to me that we have to go to Supreme Court to get justice. You know, that that takes a long time. That takes a lot of resources. The Supreme Court supported you. That should be something even bigger. Yeah, they. that was a case about... A name change because in Turkey, like you have to open a case in, to change your name, and one court said, "Oh, like you cannot change your name to a woman's name without going sex change operations and sex change cases." So Supreme Court said, "There's no law, nothing about one having a man's name or a woman's name." Can you believe it? Like, there's nothing that. Stops someone with a, a male identity from having a woman's name, but as the court and the judge was transphobic, he said, "No, you cannot do it." And it took three to four years for this person to get their name changed just because of this transphobic judge. A name change seems so small. It's very trivial. Yeah, I would think, okay, if you want to change male to female as your like official identity with the government. That's one thing that you know. I can see how some people might push back, but just for a name, exactly. <laughs> that seems um, crazy. Like my name change trial was so quick; it just took one, yeah. tr- like one uh, trial, one session, and it was done. But it's really a kind of a luck again. And also, why, especially trans women, uh, are doing sex work? Let's answer that question. And in Turkey. To officially change the birth certificate and for identity to change, you need to have some kind of surgery. It's not specifically stated in the law, but what it wants us like it wants us to be sterile. They they don't like it's it's. I think it's a eugenics thing. You know, they don't want us to have children, trans men or women. Doesn't matter. Sorry, is the the operation? It's like a sex change operation, or is it something that's just specifically to sterilize you? Any any kind of operation that sterilizes you, like like you can do vaginoplasty, or you mm. can like uh, do other stuff. But it it really again depends on the judge and how they. Oh, and the judge know, is the one that chooses what what operation or decides what operation is required of you. At least uh, they are the ones who confirm, like. Some for some judge, you removing your like you being sterilized is okay. 
but for some they especially want they will especially want vaginoplasty and this operation now it's let's say fifteen thousand dollars and with the inflation of the Turkish lira in this operation now costs around two hundred thousand liras and our minimum wage is forty five hundred dollars. So there's a huge gap between that costs and what can, for example, a waitress can earn. Like I'm, I'm working in an office job and I, I'm not even earning that much more than minimum wage. Like it will take years for me to save that money without getting any kind of, you know, loan or something. So that's also why trans women do sex work for their future. They, ha- they need to buy a house, for example, because when you're cut from your family and when, like, when the government doesn't let you adopt any kids and, and when, when you cannot change your identity, like your legal identity, you have problems with uh, senior houses. And so they need to buy a house. They need to have that operation. House prices are gone up like crazy, like $500,000. And like this operation costs again like two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars. So they need to do sex work because they need that money. Like for our survival, we just don't need to feed our stomach. And okay, done with it. No, we have to get a house. We need to get that operation for our safety, and that's a lot of money. This is a very systematic way of oppressing a minority, and especially a minority of women. This is not always about poverty, you know. And so, like, there's no. Does the government provide any healthcare as part of the, you know, the publicly offered healthcare services? Can you get services to help yourself with the transition, or with hormones, or with like any other basic healthcare? The government in Turkey, Turkish government, does have a healthcare system. So not it's not like U.S. Like it's more like Europe or other parts of right. the world. Like government pays at least some stuff. Our operations and very needed medicine isn't supported by government. Like for example, I'm taking an uh, estrogen hormone, even though my doctor prescribes it to me, because my identity is male, and these medicine are coded as women's medicine in the system, they are not paying for my medicine. Can you believe it? They like your pronouns aren't gendered, but your pills are gendered. <laughs> yeah, like like what the hell? You know, like if the doctor wants, let's say, like a man to take it too, you know, like, not just me, like but some random man. Or whatever. Then yeah. they deem like this is this medicine is necessary for someone's health. No, and they, they say, no, this is called as a women's medicine. <laughs> so you cannot have it free. You know, that's, that's quite funny. And there's also a shortage of that medicine in Turkey right now. I had my stocks, but I'm really afraid not being able to find it. Is that just like the general economic situation? Or is that specifically because they're trying to target the trans community? Um, no, no, it's not a specific target this time. This time, it's not. It's it's because of the Thank general God. economy. But I have heard, but I have heard pharmacies 
being transphobic, not selling those drugs uh, to trans women because like you know, they say like oh we don't have it and they keep it for cis women patients just want to pause here to remind you that this whole month is dedicated to telling different stories about the female experience in turkey last week we talked about the special importance of international women's day in turkey with more chatta one of the main organizations fighting against domestic violence and gender inequality here We have more great episodes in the works, so be sure to subscribe, listen, and share at the Turkish Breakfast Club. Now, back to Arya. So this past week, it was uh, March 8th, which is Women's Day, um, and there were a lot of really powerful marches across the country. When I spoke to you about it, uh, you said that you had actually faced a lot of harassment, that you felt... There was a lot of attacks coming towards you. Can you just speak about a little bit about your experience on this Women's Day, and maybe more generally too, of the trans community and yourself? What your relationship is like with the broader feminist movement in Turkey? The feminist movement in Turkey is very strong, and it's one of the main oppositional forces. I think the the committees and organs like or organizers of Ankara in Istanbul women's march have strict uh, statements against transphobia both of the uh, committees uh, are inclusive so there are some certain groups conservative and hateful they like they want us to be excluded that that's their only issue they don't care about any other stuff like violence against women uh, abortion rights etc etc they just care about trans people not being in these feminist spaces so i w- i was in the 8th of march organization and also in protests in ankara and there were like 10 to 15 people came with very hateful and very awful statements i i like i felt you know strong against them because i knew women didn't have their hatred towards me i have witnessed it so when they cannot harass me on the protests i mean my sisters and my friends and for example my boyfriend they harass us on social media with lies with manipulations because they they only care about us being excluded like they don't care about how much harm they are actually causing to the turkish feminist movement because in their hatred of us they are slandering they are attacking other cis women this is not sisterhood this is not female solidarity this is just pure hatred and we were harassed not in the march not in the protests but on social media because they don't have i i always say like it's always easy when you do it uh, on social media but when they see me face to face they cannot do it because they see i'm a human being so do you see uh, the your fight for trans rights as separate from the right fight for women's rights with the larger feminist movement it's it's never that because transphobia nearly always stems from hatred of women misogyny like for example 
when they say like you are not feminine enough to me and deem my gender not real uh, what we ask what is femininity and when they say like you are not a woman enough because you cannot give birth what about other cis women that cannot give birth when they say you don't have the real like the appropriate chromosomes there are some cis women in the world that doesn't have xx chromosomes too so whatever they come up with as a definition of womanhood or female uh, sex they are discriminating against some cis women too so feminist uh, philosophy takes women not as a biological sex and another biological truth but a social class because our social rights are not determined by our biology whatever you have as a biology you know like you have the right of equal pay equal health care equal ju- justice representation not you know, like your biology doesn't matter government should not be an obstacle in front of your equality it should be the guarantee of it so that's what they are missing when they are saying or oh, trans rights and like women's rights are are they compatible of course they are compatible because what we are facing like what trans women face is also misogyny it's not something else government deeming like for example when they want me to be sterile aren't they like interrupting my body like interceding with my body with, with and with my choice so when they craft an anti-abortion law we say it's my body it's my choice and now like government takes my choice away they require me to have this operation i don't really believe that any feminist can you know stand idle when a judge deems and you know affirms someone's womanhood you you see the point you know like state and a judge determines someone's gender so this gives them power over gender and this gives them power over womanhood they are the gatekeepers of womanhood and they are the real you know like problem here they want to control society through women's bodies and this is trans or cis doesn't matter this is a very feminist thing to do our struggle against this kind of control over bodies i mean through your activism through the activism of the people that you mentioned and you know the continued work that a lot of people are putting into this there's been a lot of progress like you said between now and 10 years ago you've seen already greater acceptance of trans people and more rights for trans people what is the goal that you are working towards for the next 10 years where would you like things to move even more from here um, my biggest dream let's say is not this operations being obligatory uh, uh, because some some trans people need those surgeries they wanted them for themselves good that's that's their choice and i want my choice back i want that choice back to us that's one of my first dreams because that operations economic cost really pushes us towards poverty and obligatory sex work 
like I'm don't get me wrong I'm not anti-sex work people can do it with their free will but like I want that choice to belong in our own hands so that's my biggest dream are you feeling optimistic about the direction that that progress will continue I'm feeling very optimistic on optimistic on interviews <laughs> but there are lots of clouds so I always say when I do uh, these kind of interviews I always say like if you know a trans person in your life today go and tell them like I listened to a podcast about you guys and like I want you to know that we appreciate you and we will help you and we will not stand idle to go tell this to your trans friends and stand by your words and this is how those clouds dissipate and we, then we can see the bright future. Thank you again to Arya for sharing her experience with us. I appreciate her and everyone in the trans community. And I hope we will all help to fight for greater equality and refuse to stand idle. We'll share links to Arya's podcast and her other work on our Instagram and Facebook pages, which you can find and follow at The Turkish Breakfast Club. That's all for this week. We'll see you again next Sunday. Until then, good